Costs We Make, the podcast about making, creativity, and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari. And guess what? I apparently gave away the big secret for this week. And the big secret was that I was going to bring on a co-host. And from here forward, I will have a co-host. Now, sometimes when you start a podcast, you know from the beginning you're going to have a co-host, so you plan it with your buddy, and you're like, yeah, we're going to do this and this. I didn't plan on ever having a co-host. I kind of wanted to do this solo. But last week's episode um, kind of convinced me, not only that I needed a co-host, but that I clicked with this guy in such a great way that I actually, in the middle of the episode, I was making notes to myself like, yep, this is, we're going to do a, this is going to be me and him doing this podcast from now on. So ladies and gentlemen, not just my guest this week, but my new co-host, Mr. Ethan Carter. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Thank you so much. No, I, I, I'm super excited to be a part of it. Um, yeah, I had the same feeling when I, when we ended the show last, last week. I just felt like that was such an easy and fun conversation. Um, I could do that every week. So uh, I, I really wanted that to just go on and on yeah. and on. And I didn't want it to be another two-hour episode because I <laughs> right. get in trouble when I do those. But yeah. No, but I, I, really did, I really did feel like we clicked. Yeah. And I was like, you don't normally click with someone you know, on your first actual talk. Right, and I was like, "No, we we have pretty good chemistry. I think we can actually make a go at this." So, and that was yeah, literally the first time we had talked in person. I know it's it's is, ridiculous. Like, how is that right. even possible? Yeah, and now I really have them looped in because now I have them on Telegram. And once you're on <laughs> Telegram, you're in the in list. I mean, that's <laughs> so. We had a guest. Um, we had a guest. I just got a message, and I'm I'm not good at typing while I'm talking, but he just let us know that he had to. Um, he had a little bit of a family emergency, so he had to bail. Not a big deal. Um, I don't hold that against people. People, family comes first. So Ethan and I were discussing what we were going to talk about this week because, well, if we don't have a guest, we had better come up with something interesting to talk about. And I got inspired by an episode, two episodes ago on my friend David Swiduck's podcast, um, Adventures in Creativity, where he talked about a blog post. I, it's so incestuous, my God. Um, <laughs> he talked about a blog post I did about failure. And... I've just recently experienced a whole ton of failure in the shop, and Ethan literally just today had, I wouldn't call it necessarily a failure, maybe just an experiment that didn't quite work out. Yeah. And um, I figured we could talk about what happened, because I don't know, you know, what you're going to do with what happened to you, but my failure turned into something amazing out of nowhere. Well, I, and I think that is usually what happens. It usually either creates some kind of new a new avenue that you hadn't thought about before or a new project or a new new method. So I, mm -hmm. I think it's uh, failures are, are fantastic in my opinion. It, it's, it's funny because you take for granted how much you go into something with like, okay, I'm prepared. I know what's going to happen. And every single thing that happens that's out of the ordinary, those are your learning experiences. Right. Absolutely. And I've been dealing a lot with resin lately. And if you've never dealt with resin, <laughs> let me tell you something. You don't know a damn thing about resin until you've actually worked with it. That's the sense I've gotten, and I haven't used it yet. It's on my list for sure, but I have not used it. But I get that sense. I've seen so many people have issues with it. It's hard. And you think you know what you're doing. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, I just put this in this cup and this in this cup, mix them together, stir it in it. Well, let me let I'll give you a little background how that works out. <laughs> I made I started I wanted to make resin pendants. That was my my big thing. And I was dealing with I tried three different kinds of resin and none of them 
were manageable for me. Like, I don't know whether I wasn't mixing them correctly or I don't know what so I was three doing. Three different wrong. brands or three different uh, three different types, types of resin. Okay. So I did. So the first one I did was um, like a quick cast for small castings. Okay. That didn't even cure. <laughs> it just didn't even cure. <laughs> then I did. Well, that was polyester. I did a polyester resin. Okay. A polyester resin. You know, I'm thinking I know everything, right? So I'm like, oh, it's got bubbles in it. So I get the barbecue lighter, and I light the barbecue lighter over it, and I get the flaming inferno of hell. Why? Because polyester resin is actually flammable. You don't ah, yes. do that with a fire. <laughs> All right. So learning, I did, learning opportunity one, right? Exactly. Yeah. As I lost eyebrows and arm hair, um, and it didn't. It didn't cure. The the pieces I made just didn't cure. So then I tried this um, small, it's made for small casting. So it's made for really for jewelry makers. It's not ice resin, which everyone uses, but it's too damn expensive. So I tried this other one and I mixed it carefully and it, it kicked right away. I thought like, oh, this is going to work great. This is going to be phenomenal. Three days later, gum soft could put my fingerprint in it. I'm like, God damn, I could not get it right. Then I tried UV resin, cheap Chinese UV resin that I bought off Amazon. And I bought a nail hard. I had bought a nail hardener because I ordered um, an SLA printer. So I was like, I need oh, a yeah. nail hardener anyway, so I'll get one of those. And I pour the stuff in the pendant frame, and I put it in, and I'm like, I really want to make sure this cures. I put it in for eight and a half minutes. <laughs> now, if you've never dealt with UV resin, as it cures, it shrinks. Uh. The idea is to pull it out at the sweet spot. Well, the sweet spot is like four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so what I ended up with was a pendant frame with resin that had shrunk so much that it, it was barely touching the inside of the pendant frame. Yeah. And it was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get this right. So right. I started watching videos, and I'm like, oh, I overcured it. That's all I did wrong. I took another piece. I just took a cabochon tray, which is nice and easy. It's a, basically a flat circle with a low side, and I put a couple of castable things in it and put some resin in it. And I was like, let's see what this does. Put it in the thing for four minutes, cured perfectly. I was like, I don't believe it. All this stuff I've been screwing around with, and the UV resin was actually the right resin to use. You just needed the right cure time. Yeah, yeah, and it's it really was all about like cure time. Like I had everything right too. I had like, I was like, okay, I can't. I don't know if this stuff is flammable, so I started popping it with a toothpick and stirring stuff to rearrange stuff. And I thought I knew what I was doing. And I didn't. Um, and that's really the moral of the story with resin. It really is like you could watch all the videos in the world until you put it in something. You're just not going to have the results you think you're going to have on the first try or the second or the third or a week's worth of experiments that all fail. But once you get it right and you know what you did wrong, oh, then it's beautiful. Then it's it. Yeah. Well, and it seems like you've, you've figured it out. I mean, I've seen tons of pendants and they've done the last couple of days even. I feel yeah. Like. And they're all sold, by the way. Those are not those are not inventory. Those that's, are customer orders. That's fantastic. That's awesome. I, I love it. I mean, I'm just so happy that people are like people are into it. Again, you know, the whole I want to make jewelry, but I never know what's going to succeed. And then right. all of a sudden, everybody's coming up to me like, "Hey, you know that one you made? Do you have this stone? Yeah, I have some of those. Can you make one of them? Yeah, sure. Here's the frames I have. Which one would you like? And what kind of chain do yeah. you want?" And today I even tried a couple of experiments by moving the pieces around and clustering them differently in the resin. And I've dyed and tinted some of this resin, and that works beautifully. That's so awesome. I finally feel like I figured it out. So after, you know, like a week and a half of just pure, unadulterated failure, I have a product that's selling better than anything I've ever made. 
So see, I think right there though, that whole explanation right there is exactly what I feel like describes you as a maker because that's what a maker will do is they will just keep going and trying and looking it up on YouTube and everything until they get it right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We we are we are a strange breed as makers. Yeah. <laughs> like it's. I, I think there's a certain amount of persistence that we kind of have just because of what we do that other people generally don't have. Yeah, I would agree. Because we, you know, even Bob, when he was on, he said, you know, he's not afraid to fail. Right. And you can't be afraid to fail. because And failure means different things for different people. Yeah. But for us, it really is just, okay, that didn't work. Don't do that again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th- I mean, I think we generally embrace it because we know that something we're going to learn something from it, and that's we are learners and problem solvers, as we've said before, mm-hmm. and uh, and we embrace that mistake because it's not be, that failure because it's we're going to learn something from it, and we're going to be able to apply that to the next thing. So it's also a matter of sometimes just going into something knowing it's an experiment, mm-hmm. not you know if you're doing something when there's no like. I don't want to say pressure because there's really not a whole lot of pressure on us doing this, like, right. whatever. But you go into something with the attitude that I'm going to learn this thing. And this may not be the point where it's learned. This may be the point where I'm learning. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like how many, how many times did I ruin a cutting board for a client trying to put a juice groove on it? <laughs> yeah. So how did that, have you, did that, did you try it? Oh, I made such a disaster out of it. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. I what even happened? went out. I went out and bought a DeWalt 618 router. Yeah. Like, I didn't skimp. I bought right. a really good router. I bought a good plunge router with a plunge base. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to ace this because it's really just <laughs> the router's the problem, not me. Right. No, it's me. It's me. I can't figure out what the hell I'm doing wrong. I actually worked it out with the client. I was like, "Look, I, I, I'll either give it to you for cheaper, or I, I, you know, we'll just we'll just pass on this one. I'll just do the other board for you." And he's like, "Nah, don't even worry about it." He goes, "I know you've tried." He goes, "As long as it looks good, I'll be." Happy. I was like, "No, no, it will look amazing when I'm done with it. I promise." But the cutting board went from like an inch and a quarter down to like just about three quarters of an inch. Oh. <laughs> which is fine it's going to be in my kitchen you know yeah. my wife is happier that it's not this gigantic chunky cutting board <laughs> but you had you had a an interesting experiment yeah i mean yeah you know i think i probably fail on almost every project i do to some at some point in the project but nope. but again i think that's part of my process is i you know Uh-oh. i don't i don't drop plans i don't do that kind of stuff and Uh-oh. i you know i kind of do in my head and expect to adjust on the fly um, and usually I just kind of before the thing is over, so it's not necessarily a quote-unquote failure because I've figured it out, the issues along the way. But yeah, this week, so what I was trying to do is um, I made, I know you've seen it, but I made a uh, leather checkerboard, which just has a lot of like leather squares, uh, different tone leather. And the next step was to make checkers for it. So I made checkers last week with, then um, I just got cut a dowel, two different types of wood, and did an inlay of different types of leather. Um, as the checkers. So the last step was kind of figuring out some way to hold these checkers when when they're not being used. And so I wanted to make some kind of checker leather case. And so the idea was pretty simple and pretty straightforward, and it was just to create some kind of cylinder that they could all slide into, and um, I put a top on it or something. Um, And so I kind of sketched it all up. I measured everything so that it was exactly the, you know, the checkers fit perfectly within the circumference of the cylinder, and I stitched the entire thing up. I mean, I'm, I was probably at the, you know, 90% done with all the stitching when I kind of 
looked at it and said, I don't know actually if this is going to work. And it didn't. <laughs> um, and the issue was is that is actually that the fit was so good. Um, if you can imagine, so if you can picture the cylinder and the checker is circular and it fits so snugly in that uh, cylinder that the second you get two or three in there, there's no way to get them out because they are just kind of suctioned into that cylinder. So there's no way that if you put the whole stack of checkers in there that you'd ever be able to get them out. <laughs> so now I'm left with this uh, very pretty stitched leather thing that has no purpose. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, so, you know, I, I'd taken a bunch of footage, uh, to, you know, to post this, po- do a post on Instagram about it and everything. So I figured, you know what? I'm just going to admit that I failed and put it up there anyways um, and just use it as a learning uh, opportunity. So I did that, and that's what I posted today. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, the second I was done, I, I was like, what? all right, so what's the, what's the solution to this issue? And it's going to be hard to explain. I probably won't be able to do it. But basically the issue is that you can't push things down into the cylinder because it's too tight. But if you have a lid, so if you imagine the cylinder has a slit down the back, and that can open, then now all of a sudden you have access to the checkers and they don't need to be sliding up and down the cylinder. You can just open the lid right. and pop them out. And so that's my next, I've, I've already started that and um, it'll have some snaps and it'll be a cool design. I think it'll be, uh, it'll be I th- actually think it'll be a better design than, than the one I started with, which again, I think that's part of what, we, what we're talking about is that you know, the first design does isn't always necessarily the best. It's it's you learn what works for that design, and then you take that and you make something better from it. Or you look at a process like when I'm doing the cutting board. So I'm working on right now. I'm working on something that could be life changing for me, which is a oh, someone wants to wholesale my cutting boards. Yeah, this sounds awesome. Which is just like, wait, what? This doesn't happen to me. This happens to people <laughs> better than me. Um, and so I'm really trying to get my processes nailed down, because I, uh, by my math, I can turn out, every, I can turn out three or four every two days. Okay. Um, the way I do it now, the exact right. way I do it, if I change nothing. Right. Which is really, I mean, that's 120 boards a month. Yep. And I don't think his order is going to be that big when it, when the time comes. I just don't. I, I, I mean, maybe I don't know. I don't know if I could buy as much wood as I would make cutting boards. Right. Right. Um, but I've been looking at my processes and trying to figure out, is there, are there ways that I can pick up time? And that's when you start looking at it and going, mm-hmm. is it worth the time to come up with a new process right. versus your process that you know works and is pretty damn efficient to begin with? So one of the things I do is I don't cut the corners on the cutting board. I have that rigid oscillating sander that everyone yep. has, and I just push into it to take the round to round over the edges and i've gotten really fast at it and i know how to hold the board and i know how to keep the board from kicking on the belt and all that stuff so i've gotten the hang of doing it and it takes me probably about two or three minutes whereas if i did it with the bandsaw i'd have to be really careful right and then still go over to the sander to because no bandsaw is going to be perfect so that's the kind of thing where the bandsaw would be faster to do the corners, no doubt about it, but I'd still have to go back to the sander. So if I'm going back to the sander anyway, is it really a time-saving? Right. Probably not. Yep. Same with the glue-up, right? Like, there's only one way to do a glue-up. You know, yeah. you, you glue the face grain to each other, and you leave the edge grain up, and that's your cutting board. That's just the way it's done. Everyone does it the same way. So, like, is there a faster way to do a glue-up? I mean, I could probably get a roller and roll it on, but... 
it's not going to add that much efficiency. Yeah, it's right. like my process right now is pretty tight. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything else I can do to speed it up. Even like when I was working with the, the planer yesterday, just flattening out this piece because the bubinga is slightly shorter than the maple mm-hmm. because I cut it for a different cutting board. And I just used scraps that I had. But I'm looking at them like, well, I could take bigger bites with the planer. And the first one I did just blew a big chunk right off the face right, grain. Just ate it, yeah. Yeah, it just, it hit it and it went, Grrr, and I'm like, uh-oh. And <laughs> that's I, just, it, that sound, though. I mean, I don't know. have a planer, but I know that sound from other things. It's just, that's the, the worst sound. Where it hits, yeah, oh. it just, it's too much teeth on too yep. much wood. Yep. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> And it just it just ate it, and I was like, all right, I can sand that off. But now I know now I know a whole lot better. So yeah, it's 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 crazy how much you look around your shop when you're doing something like this, and you start thinking about everything you're doing. And another thing is like when you're on a tight schedule, you fear the failure. Because look, I mean, we, mm-hmm. we spent all this time talking about how much we like failure, but at the same time, sometimes failure is a massive setback. Like. Right. If you, you're putting a juice groove on a cutting board, you're doing it at the last step. You've yeah. already glued and sanded and planed and routed and put the feet on or whatever else you're doing. The last thing you're going to do is put that damn juice groove in. Yeah. So after you've made it perfect, now it's time to carve into it. Yeah. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you. Like, one of the things I learned early on, though, too, is that there's this moment where I'm tired of doing what I'm doing. Or I, I just want it to be done. And that is, and I learned this, trust me, the very hard way. That's the moment you step away and you take a break. Oh, yeah. Oh, because yeah. I, from injuries and from ruining the project, that's always when it happens. You know, it's that, oh, I'm just tired of doing this, you know. And you cut that one corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then cut you cut the your finger. Cor- right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you, you know, or you break a tool. Yeah. Or you, I'll tell you when it happened to me. It's funny you say that because that's exactly what happened to me. I was working on this cutting board for a client. It was polar bear shaped. So I'd yeah, never... Yeah, remember you telling me about this. Yeah, guy. yeah. I'd never done this before. This was the first time I'd ever cut anything this intricate with the bandsaw. But I was like, screw it. I'm a maker. I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Right. And by the time I was done with that cutting board, I was just... I hate to say it because it's kind of embarrassing, but I was literally cutting every corner under the sun just to get this damn thing done. It worked on it. I felt like I worked on it for two weeks. Yeah, right. And the last day, the last cut, (laughs) the bandsaw blade broke. And I was like, I am so damn lucky because I was just pushing too hard through the bandsaw. Yeah, because you wanted to get it done. I wanted to get it done. And I broke a bandsaw blade. And if you've never broken a bandsaw blade... That's a pretty scary thing. I can imagine. Yeah, I can't. It sounds like somebody shot you. <laughs> like, it's literally what it sounds like. It's just, it's a bang, and you just pull your hands back, because you don't know how much that blade's going to whip. It's terrifying. Yeah. And yeah. luckily, nothing nothing hit me. I didn't get in. I had no injuries. But I was, I, it was at that moment when I realized exactly what you said. Like, sometimes, yeah, you just got to say, I've done enough. Yep. And, you, you know, it's not about fear of failure. It's... I'm going to hurt myself because I'm not I'm not focused anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. It it that, that happens so often to me. And that's why a lot of the times when I'm working on it first time on something, it'll take me forever to get it done. Well, exactly. And that and that's the frustrating part too, right? But that's the right way to do it. Right. Yeah, right. Sure. This cutting board that I the the first cutting board that I butchered down to the point where it's too thin to <laughs> sell as a cutting board, you know, I really did like there were I walked away from it like 5 times. Yeah. Cuz I was just so annoyed. And it's funny because the last time I did anything with it, I actually put the board back in the, sp- in the jig that I made, and I started running the router again. 
And as soon as I put the router, as soon as I plunged the router, and I'm talking, I'm plunging a sixteenth of an inch. I cannot figure out why it's biting the way it is. But I plunged a sixteenth of an inch, and it just the router just grabbed and went from one corner to the other. And it was, I was just like, telling you that it's yeah, it's like stop, just stop. You can't, you're <laughs> not going to do this. You're not going to do this if you want this client to ever get his cutting board. You know, mm-hmm. just stop. <laughs> Rethink your plan. Beg for forgiveness. Offer a discount, and just move on with your day. Like this is just the the white whale of a project that never went, never goes anywhere. <laughs> That's yeah. No, that, absolutely. And so, have you have you ever found that the the uh, failure has actually resulted in something better than you had planned? Interesting. That's an interesting question. Um, I don't think that specifically has happened, but it has tightened the way I do things. Yeah, right. like making these pendants. Right, I've tried. I tried every resin under the sun to do them. It turns out that the resin you need to do when you're using an open back pendant is UV resin. And the reason is if you're using a nail hardener like I am to cure the resin, yep. the second that 36-watt UV bulb hits it, it starts kicking. Right. And once it kicks, it stops running. And once it stops running, you're good. It's going to cure, and you'll be fine. You just can't leave it in too long. That was a big lesson for me. Right. It was a matter of – it wasn't so much – it came out better. It was a matter of this is why it's wrong. Now you understand why this is the right way to do it. You'll never do it the wrong way again. And it clicks, right? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. So, so re- the, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that, I will use that other resin for closed back stuff because okay. that can just sit there or stuff that I'm molding and casting. Like, it'll be fine for that. But if I'm using open back pendant frames, which are my big seller right now, yeah, those are always going to be UV because that's just the right way to do it. So, it's the right way to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the the reason I was asking though that because this reminded me of um, so I don't know if you follow her, um, Katie Freeman. She's uh, fr- uh, Freeman Furnishings, and she was one of my first connections on Instagram. Uh, we're good friends, and she has a YouTube channel. And she just I think it was like a week or so ago posted this uh, video, kind of similar to what I did tonight, um, but on YouTube, uh, where she was taking I don't know if you've seen it, but people take kind of a a cookie you know a wood cookie mm-hmm. uh that's been hollowed out in the center and almost make uh what are this called where you put the toast and you cut the hole in it and you put the egg in the middle oh bird and nest yeah bird and nest it's kind of like that only with resin and then you make a light out of it so the the wood Ooh. is the border and then you have this resin in the middle and you can illuminate that to create this kind of cool light and she just had failure after failure on this thing um and her whole youtube video is about all the mistakes that she made but uh, but everything that she learned from it, and me personally, so she she posted at the end. And bit, long story short, it was she poured too too much, and the heat from the resin ah. ended up cracking, which is very common. You know, mm-hmm. it's a common thing. Um, but it ended up cracking, kind of. But it kind of looked almost like an iceberg in this uh, in, in the middle of this wood cookie. And I think that ended up being better than Ben if she if it hadn't had those cracks in it. So mm. it's just funny. I don't think she agrees with that, but for me. I think it's way more interesting with all the cracks. So I just think sometimes you can kind of stumble across a uh, design by a, by a mistake or a uh, failure, you know. I've had a couple of moments. I've had a couple of moments down in the shop, you know, as I've done more and more varied projects for people where I'm like, this is just never going to work. Like right. sometimes you also have to know when to punch out. And I have a great thing that I learned by accident 
And luckily, I had it, I literally figured it out just pure logic. I had made this nursery sign for a client, and I worked really hard on it. I mean, really hard. I wanted it to be, I wanted the the wood. I made a it's a big C, and mm-hmm. then the name I three D printed, and put it over the C across the C. Ah, so it was cool. this beautiful script font. It looked when I was done with it. It was I got to say it's one of the most polished things I've ever made. It was perfect. That's awesome. I brought it to the office to give it to her, and as I'm bringing it to the office, I open up the bag when I got there, and it was in three pieces. The two names had fallen off the sea, and I could not figure out what I had done wrong. And then I thought about it, and I realized, oh, wow, I know exactly what I did wrong. See, I held, I held the whole thing together with, um, with CA glue. Yep. Which, you know, you your go-to, like, oh, I'm bonding wood to 3D prints. You know, CA mm-hmm. glue is very good for that, right? Except here's the thing. <laughs> CA glue has no give. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if anything touches it, the first instinct, when, especially when it's attached to paint, the first instinct of the piece is not going to be to flex. It's going to be to snap. snap. Gotcha. Right. And that's exactly what it did. It snapped <laughs> off. Thank God it came off in one piece. Right. But it snapped off in one piece, took the paint with it underneath, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I went back downstairs. I'm like, what do I have? What can I do? And I'm thinking like, okay, hot glue is not going to work. Wood glue is not going to hold the plastic. What do I have? And I saw E6000. I'm like, dummy. That is exactly what you need to use. Why? E6000 doesn't cure hard. Yep. It It cures strong, but it's got a little tiny bit of flex to it. Yep. And if anything goes under tension with it, it's not going to snap. Right. So I redid the whole sign with E6000. And you could literally lift it up by the letter. By the letter. That's crazy. And it's like, now, E6000 is not as strong as CA glue. Right. But it's the right thing to use. And the only way I knew that was because I broke the damn letters off the first time. <laughs> it's it's amazing, though, like how much, you know, you have all this stuff in your shop. And, right. you know, you get you get into, I don't want to say a rut, but it's almost like you have, like, crutches. Like, oh, Absolutely. I'm going to put this together. Oh, I'm going to use CA glue because I use CA glue on everything. Right. Well, there's a reason you have five other kinds of glue in your shop, dummy. That's yeah. That's why. <laughs> so. No, absolutely. Yeah, we all get used to the, using what we're comfortable with, and that's never, not always the right answer. It's it's right. the same reason we struggle. I don't know why people do this, and you know, I know you don't do as much woodwork as I do, mm-hmm. but you probably see it as much as I do. People will struggle to cross cut on a table saw while you're looking over their shoulder at their yeah. miter saw. Yeah. That's what the miter saw is for. Absolutely. Right. And like, if you have it, then use it, right? Yeah. It, it's yeah. so weird. And it's like, well, I could cut it faster on the table, but you can't. Right. You know, you say you can, and I'm sure you think you can, but I've seen you operate, and it's right. not faster for you. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's what they're used to using. Well, I think the right. same thing, there's people, I mean, and listen, I'm very healthy fear of my table saw, but I th- there's people that will never use a table saw, and it slows them way down. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's like you use it for the right purposes and you'll be golden, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I use my table saw pretty much exclusively for ripping down lumber. I yeah. almost don't use it. If I'm cross-cutting anything, I have a sliding miter saw. Oh, it's going it's on the better. miter saw. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't better, even... Better, safer, easier, all that. Uh, uh, nowhere near as scary, much right. more repeatable. Right. You know, it's not as powerful, clearly, but... I sit there sometimes, and I'm like, oh, how am I going to do this on the table saw? <laughs> right. No, dummy. Do it on the miter saw. That's what you have the miter saw for. The first time I did these cutting boards, a very funny story. The first cutting board I did, you know, you want to talk about learning from failure. 
I cut it, the polar bear. I believe was twenty one pieces of maple. Wow. And then and then edge glue. It's big. It was chunky. It was. It, it's a beautiful piece. I mean, I am I got, so is damn. It, proud is it of. on your feet? Or, it's on my Instagram. Okay, yeah, I need to go go back and find that because go back about as far as February and there's a picture of it. Okay. I think it was the end of February when I finished it. Um, and I love this thing. I mean, it, but I was cutting the wood the stupidest way possible. I was literally, <laughs> I would mark the piece and cut it. Mark yep. the piece, cut it. And I knew better. But why didn't I do it the right way? The right way would be to set up a sacrificial fence, use a mm-hmm. stop block, and just rip the pieces. Just boom, boom, boom. Right. I, yeah, of course, because you would get the same size, right? Mm-hmm. I ended up with every different size under the sun. It didn't matter as much because <laughs> I wasn't cutting a square board. But you start to realize that I am really just not – either I'm being lazy and I don't want to set up – but it's save, it's killing my time. It's killing my productivity. Right. When I started making these square cutting boards, the very first thing I did when I started cutting the pieces, I set up that damn stop block. And I realized, wow, I cut – I ripped down two – nine foot pieces of maple and i ripped them down into segments that were perfect for the cutting board i did two so it's 18 feet of maple i think it maybe took me five minutes yeah maybe i mean and that's that's on the high side it took me five minutes to rip 18 feet of maple but that's crazy the right the difference in efficiency yeah of course no no marking i didn't mark anything i marked the first thing where to clamp the board that made the fence yep you know that fence is still on my miter saw? <laughs> I ain't taking it off for nobody. Right. But I'm, I'm looking at the picture, by the way, at the time. That's awesome. That was so... that was, I went into like a coloring book page website, yep. and I found a picture of a polar bear, printed it on 4x4, 8.5x11, and tiled it... To, well, my wife had to tile it together because I had no ability to line up the lines for some <laughs> reason. And yeah, that's what I got out of it. That's awesome. Very I cool. love that cutting board. Yeah. I loved it. And then it was funny because the day I was cutting just the wood for it, um, I cut it all up, I glued it up, I brought it outside to the planer, and I started planing it, and I planed it till it was flat. I handed it to my wife, and she goes, you, she's not going to be able to lift this. <laughs> and I measured it, and it was, an, it was one and three quarters inch thick. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't even afford to ship that. I'll lose money yeah, shipping right, it. Yeah, right, true, right. So I had to bring it down to like a, an inch and a quarter just so, you know, just so someone could actually lift it <laughs> and use the damn thing. That's well, awesome. Yeah, oh, that's very cool. It, it's one of my it's one of my favorite projects. It was a big learning experience, and the woman was super patient. And it's funny because she ordered it, she ordered it right before I had my surgery. And I was like, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this done. She goes, I don't care. You do it after your surgery. And I pushed and I pushed and I had my surgery on Friday. I finished that cutting board on Monday. Yeah, it, it, the second someone says, "Oh, don't worry about it. Take your time." Th- Aren't you more motivated to get oh my done God. quicker? Yeah, you absolutely. might as well have told yeah. me I'm going to shoot a gun on three and <laughs> yeah, you <right>. run. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, don't don't rush. To me, it's like oh, now I get to exceed expectations. Right, exactly. And you're like, they're so understanding. I want to over deliver. <laughs> I know you've done you've done some commission work. Is that something? So how how much does um, your timeline weigh into your perception of failure? Like for me, mm-hmm. this guy that I'm That's doing these two cutting boards for. Um, he ordered them before I went into surgery, and he knew it was going to take me a long time to get back even to the shop, let alone get these done. So he's been very understanding, and I really feel bad that I can't get them done faster. Yeah. Um, but he knows the deal. He's good with it. But I consider it at least partially a failure because I'm just not done. How much do you consider time as, you, as, as a failure, aside from like 
the failure or maybe a process doesn't work or something gets screwed up in while you're making it? How much no, is a, your failure to deliver a failure? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a really good question. I think I, I have a feeling that most of the time we're harder on ourselves than, than the people that were that commissioned the piece. I would agree with that. Um, so I, I try to remember that, but you know, most of the commission stuff I've done, I'm pretty, I try to be really honest with myself when I, when I tell them when I think I can do it. And sometimes that makes me really uncomfortable, but I know that it's going to make me more comfortable down the line when I'm not missing a deadline. Right. So I try to do that, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, the second someone orders something, I'm, you know, from that point on, I'm, there's definitely some stress about getting it done, right? I mean, yeah, and you know. I do the same thing with shipping, right? Because I was talking to I was talking to Bruce, and I, you know, we were talking about my shipping with these pendants and all that. And I'm like, I treat when I ship products for customers, I treat it like I'm shipping as an Amazon seller, which I think is amazing, right? And and my performance metrics depend on it, right? So if you order something from me, there's a pretty good chance it's going out the next day. Yep. Even if I got to make it that night, it's pretty much going out the next day. If I have inventory of it, it is absolutely one hundred percent. I'll have the label done the night you order it. Yeah. Um, if I don't have it, I will probably make it the next day. Like all the pendant orders, one of them changed their mind and not to not order them. She just wants them and she's going to order them in September because she's getting five of them as a Christmas gift for her family. Gotcha. Yep. Um, so she said, you know what, we can, can we wait till September? I'm like, yeah, of course we can wait till September. I'll, I'll be even better at making them in September. It'll be fine. <laughs> But I treat my my shipping as if I'm being judged on it yep. and to the point where I could lose my business. Right. And to me, I feel like that's something that some people kind of forget about. It's like, oh, I made the project. It's great. Okay, how fast is it going to get it to them? Oh, it's, you know, a couple of, you know, I'll, I'll send it out some point this week. Right. Nope, not me. <laughs> no, and, I, and we ta- I think we talked about this last time about like packaging. It's the same thing. It's people don't, People uh, are impressed and remember getting something before they remember uh, before they expect it mm-hmm. makes a huge impact versus getting it at a normal amount of time, right? I mean, people will remember if they've waited forever to get something, right? Then totally. that's super bad. But the difference between getting it to them on you know a week or a week and a half or whenever they would expect something like that to be ma- get to them, but if they get it early, oh my god, that's that's. They they really do, and what what you do, you know, it's it's you don't want to ever overset expectations, mm-hmm. right? But what you when you deliver something way earlier than expected, you now become an option when they're in a rush. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and that's when people are the most willing to spend money. There's a good mm-hmm. tip for you: if you have a business that you ship anything, you want to be someone that can get something to someone at the last conceivable minute, right. because if you are. Your prices don't matter to that person yeah. anymore. You can, I mean, and you can charge a premium. And again, you shouldn't charge. Don't be an know. asshole because they don't won't be come asshole. back. Right. But <laughs> but you can't. But there are, and and I think that's a fair thing if it's super tight deadline and it's something that you don't have inventory on. But but again, you, most of the time, then they still they still feel like you're a hero, even mm-hmm. if you do. You know, they're more than willing to pay a little extra. And that's you know that's part of that's part of the whole. You know, we, you know, you said we're hard on ourselves about, you know, failure and time delivery and stuff. We're also hard on ourselves about our prices. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I'm the John Malecki said the greatest thing ever on their podcast. 
And it really struck me, and it stuck with me. And he said that if every time you you give a, a price to a client, the answer is yes, your prices are too low. Yeah. Your price, you should never get only yeses. That doesn't yep. mean you shoot for no's and you charge outlandish right. prices. You'll go out of business. Right. But that does mean that if you're always getting yeses, you're probably not valuing your services high enough because your clients value your services higher than you do if they're always saying yes to your price. Absolutely. I, and I know I remember hearing that exact quote and having the same reaction. It's just, wow, that yeah. makes total sense. Because we don't charge what we think our stuff's work, yeah. worth. We really don't. It took me a long time to recognize that those pendants, right? If I was char- making those pendants five years ago, I'd probably be charging $10 for them. Right. Oh, absolutely. And that's just ridiculous. Now, look, at $10, and here's the dirty little secret, and if you're one of my customers listening, I'm sorry to tell you this, <laughs> at $10, I would still make money. Yeah, right. But that's not the right price for them. No. It's just not. It's, it's not. I don't want my stuff to be that commoditized. I don't want it to be unapproachable. But I don't want it to be something where you buy it, you wear it once, and then you throw it away. I don't want right. my stuff to be disposable. So I charge $20 for it. Well, I think, I, I think, think that's fair. <laughs> that's absolutely fair. I think the other thing, too, that, and I know I'm guilty of it, and, I, and I'm trying to get better at it, but I think definitely a lot of people, especially when they get started and they kind of first start selling things, you don't put enough value on your time. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. we, like like we said with the X-Acto knives, the X-Acto knives that, that I make, the the input cost is not that much and neither is the time to be honest and we've talked about this before like mm-hmm. but but there's the input cost especially like when with a lot of the leather stuff i'm doing now that i'm actually getting full sides of leather the input costs aren't that much but the right. time is right and if you if you're to put an hourly wage to what you put into some of these things mm. you know there's you know are you making minimum wage when you you know like for for a high-end skill craft skill you know that's people right. so and it, but it's hard for us to put a value on that because there are people on etsy or whatever selling it for ten dollars right right no, um, you're there right. are people doing that but they're undervaluing the market and and devaluing their own time and everyone else's time i will say the one thing that the one thing that hit me very hard um this wholesale deal that i was talking about with the cutting yeah. board um the guy who i'm doing it for he um we're part of a group, and one of the things in the group that we do is, it's, you know, you're supposed to post your wins, mm-hmm. right? So I posted, you know, I always post the stuff I make because my, my whole philosophy is I do more before 10 a.m. than most people do in their entire day. <laughs> yep. And I, I really do relish that. I, 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 I love that by 10 a.m. I've put five pictures of something I've made on Instagram, and I've written a blog post. I've edited the podcast. I've prepared for the day, and I'm on my way to my day job by 1030. Like, right. Most people, most people don't do what I do from six thirty to ten thirty. Yeah, right. And some of them barely go to a job. <laughs> right. You know. So I was talking. So one of the things this guy does, he encourages everybody to post your wins to encourage other people to kind of get off their asses a little bit. And so one morning I posted. I said, "Oh look, this is what I did this morning. I finished four pendants and I finished a cutting board." And one of the guys said, "Wait a minute, you make cutting boards?" Yeah. He goes. I'm looking at what you're making, and it's gorgeous. He goes, this is way higher quality, and this is the key. It's way higher quality than what I've seen sold on Etsy. There you go. So maybe I should... I've been looking for someone to get cutting boards from. Maybe you're the guy. And I'm like, I can be, I can be your guy. Do you want a sample? <laughs> yeah. Now, here's the crazy part. So he has a business. He makes stamping blanks. Okay. 
And I'm always using stamping blanks in different things. And I have the laser. So I'm going to, I actually have a project in mind with a couple of ones. So anyway, I got, he goes, I, I don't want to take the sample for free. He goes, go into my store, find a couple of pieces you like. I'll send you a few samples of them. So now I have all these samples and now I have a business connection right. with this guy where I can order at wholesale prices, stamping blanks, instead of going to Michael's and buying the ones from the two, two different companies that make them. Right. And I'm going to save a fortune on something that I'm using anyway. So even if I don't make the deal for the cutting boards, which I'm pretty sure I'm going to make some kind of deal with them, You've I got a deal got... for stamping blanks. Yep. And it's yep. just, it's the greatest feeling in the world. It's like, wow, this is really like a thing. I have a legitimate business. Right. You yeah. know, it's, so all the failures of the cutting boards and everything, when I was so excited about it that I posted it, it got me more business. Well, and I think that's the thing. I think we that's the other part of this whole community and everything is that we all have our economies of scale and what we're what we have access to again going back to the leather there are people that do very little leather work and for them a 12 by 12 piece of leather is super expensive if you just right. get it off of amazon and it is and that's what i i use that for a long time uh when i first got started but a 12 by 12 for me when you're buying in full sides is not that expensive. And so for me to give you that for something that I don't have an economy of scale for, you know, trade or whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. it's a win-win for both parties and everyone, you know, everyone makes out. Right. And I've learned, I've, I've, I have a business model in mind of how I'm going to grow my business and it's not going to involve just me making things. Mm Mm-hmm. And I talked to my wife about it last night. I had the whole thing. I don't know. I, sometimes I just get on a roll. And, I, you know, you get diarrhea of the mouth, but yep. everything that comes out is gold. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, how would, how would this work? And I said, well, in this case, you would do. And at the end of it, she goes, this is a really good idea. This is, a, this, is, this is your next big thing. So I'm already thinking, like, you know, as far as economies of scale, I'm actually thinking beyond me making things now. Right. Like, I'll still make things. I love making things. But I'm also thinking, like, I have a friend who... Okay, so I'll give you an example. I just got an order for a custom toy box. A, a classic, like, furniture to match an Ethan Allen set toy box. Gotcha. Like, yep. we're not talking low end. We're talking, you know, maybe $1,000 for this cutting... For the cutting board. I'm so obsessed <laughs> with cutting boards. Thousand dollars. Thousand dollars for a cutting board. Now we're yeah. talking. Right? I mean, I'd have to make one like Lynn did a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> it would be about probably. I'm thinking somewhere around a thousand dollars. I don't know if I can even get the materials and make a decent amount of money on that. I haven't really looked into it because we don't have a design yet. But immediately, as soon as she said, "It's like, okay, do you want a cushion so you can sit on the top?" She goes, "Yes, yeah. good, no problem." Now, normal people look at that and they go, "Well, I don't know how to sew. Right. I'll learn right. how to sew." Yep. No, not me. I have a friend who's an amazing seamstress. Right. She knows she knows this stuff inside out. And my first thought was, oh, no problem. I'll just farm it out to her and pay her whatever she wants, and yeah. I'll include that in the cost. Right. That's it. Why would I make it? Right. You know, I don't right. have the ability. If The same thing with leather. If I ever needed leather for a client project, do you think I'm going to do it? No, I'm right. going to go, Ethan, right. are you busy? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, what, what, is, uh, what do Brad and um, John always say? It's like we have the Superman syndrome where, where we – because we all love learning and love doing everything ourselves, we tend to try to do it all ourselves. And that's not yeah. always the answer, right? It's usually not. Actually, it's usually, usually not, not the answer. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, some of, some of my 
again, I think I'd done one leather project in one or two in December of last uh, this year or this past year. And uh, Lizzie from House of Timbers reached out to me in uh, probably the end of January. Yeah, it was it must have been the end of January because it was before WorkbenchCon. And she's like, I have a customer that wants a leather strap for one of my signs. Uh, like, you do leather work, right? And I'm like, not really. I I have <laughs> I've done one project, you know. And but it, but it was exactly that. It was. It, she one she you know she wanted to throw me a bone and give me a chance which I'm extremely grateful for and I was excited because I got to learn how to make this strap and I got some new tools because of it and she worked it into the price and she didn't have to do it and the customer was happy and that customer has now uh, commissioned me for a bunch of other things too so it's it's, it's this full circle but again she, Lizzie doesn't want to do leather work like that's right. not i mean maybe she does but that's not her bread and butter but that's not where she's gonna make money she's gonna exactly if she does okay so for me right when i look at a lot of this stuff it's like okay if i do it for myself fine it's fun i enjoy doing it but sometimes it's like if i'm gonna do that for a client that's gonna cost me money to do that for a client and people don't i i think makers in general are so excited about the prospect of being able to either make something for someone right. or learn a new skill to yep. do something for someone where they don't consider the business cost of doing mm -hmm. it and then Hey, for some people, they don't care. And well, if and you I don't think in care, some situations, that's that's okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, for, and if it works right. for you, if it fits into your business model, by all means, but. do it. But if your if your business model is, I have four hours a day where I'm in my shop, mm -hmm. I don't want to spend it learning a skill for one client. For something if, I'm not really that interested in. Right. Yeah. Or something that is not going to give me a big return. Right. Like, if I'm making the sign, do I want to make the leather strap? Right. The leather strap's going to take me probably as long as it's going to take me to make the sign. Right. So now you got to think, is this worth it for me? And it's in most cases, it's probably not. Yeah. And is it going to be something that's going to I'm going to incorporate into my long-term business model? No. If it's right. not, then you, then it's not right. Then right. Yeah, I'm not going to be doing I'm not going to be doing a lot of furniture. I'm right. I, I'm doing this because the client is a friend of mine. Yep. And she said, I love your work. I would really like it if you would. Yes, I will absolutely make the toy box for you. Have I ever made a toy box? Never in my life. Have right. I ever worked with Cherry? Not once. <laughs> <laughs> am I nervous as hell about how this thing's going to look when I'm done with it? Yep. You're damn right I am. Right. But I'm not making the cushion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> you know, the whole thing is like, I I'll, pay, I'll pay pretty well. And, you know, she's like, my friend even said, she goes, I'll, I'll do it for you. I was like, well, no, I'm not asking you for a freebie. Right. I would never ask for a freebie. Yeah. You know, people are surprised, and that's probably, we could probably close in on this, because I, I don't know the scale of what you're doing as far as commission work. I know you said you do some of it. My bread and butter is commission work. Yeah. You know, right. the store for me is more portfolio stuff to, to look legit. If I sell stuff, bonus. If I never sell another thing on the store, I don't need to sell anything on the store. Right. My custom work is what pays my bills. Yeah. So I like doing the custom work and all that. I have... Oh, Jesus Christ. Guys, I'm just going to tell you what's going on. I, you know I'm going through chemo, and I literally just lost my train of thought, and this is the brain fog that comes along with chemo. So my apologies. I just built up to a point and completely forgot the point <laughs> I was building up to. Oh, my God. And it was a good point, and I don't remember what it was, but that's okay. No worries. No worries. I do not We've remember. We've had a lot of good points, I think. We have had a lot of good points. <laughs> we have had a lot of good points. So... Yeah, we we do actually have, so now that Ethan's on board, it's even more fun because when I get a guest, it's not just going to be me talking to them. <laughs> and we do actually have a guest lined up for Thursday. We had a guest lined up for tonight. Like I said, he had a family emergency. So I'm not going to, I don't hold family emergencies <laughs> against people. That would be a shitty thing to do. But we'll probably end up getting him next week. I think um, it would be fun. It would be, it, he'd be, 
interesting story for sure. Yes. So. Oh, he. I mean, I I've only scratched the surface. I didn't know about about him until you told me. So I think it would be a <laughs> very interesting story. And, I was uh, I was I was almost I was almost like I don't know how an episode with him and it's gonna play. Right. So I was a little scared to have him on tonight, and especially considering it's our first episode. Yeah, exactly. Right. The, say, so how's the back and forth go and everything? Yeah. yeah. So I'm a little bit. I don't want to be a da- an ass, but I'm a little bit relieved that it was just me <laughs> and you tonight. Took the edge off. So now when the second episode comes along, people are expecting my co-host Ethan Carter. There we go. Um, EC3, as I'm gonna, just going to start calling you, so we can all get you confused <laughs> with the wrestler. And um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for today. You have anything you want to chime in with before we uh, close it out? No, I, I'm, I'm just, again, I'm super excited to be part of it and uh, brought on board. And, uh, you know, I have so much fun with our conversation, so I'm excited to have them every week. So I'm I, really, I'm really excited. Absolutely looking forward to getting whatever guests we can get. But I also like the idea that now that I have a co-host, you know, it takes some of the pressure off to get guests. Right. So if we have a week where we don't have a guest, then it's just me and you, buddy. We can talk about failures. Exactly. Where That's we're going, right. we don't need roads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what's going to happen, right? So Wednesday, when this episode drops, I'm going to listen to it in my car on the way to work. And I'm going to remember the point that I forgot. <laughs> and you're and gonna it's going to be like, it at your radio. I am literally going to be yeah. pounding my steering wheel going, damn it, you needed to remember that. Oh, well, what a bummer. Write it down, and we'll and we'll start with it next week. We'll cover it. Hopefully, I'll remember. Maybe I'll remember it by, uh, we're recording. It's Monday night as we record this. We're dropping this episode on Wednesday, and then Thursday night, we're recording again with a very special guest who has a okay, story so. that, I, I mean, I, I asked her to be on the podcast two months ago, okay, when I first started the podcast. And I went back to her because she had a life experience that every maker is probably a little bit jealous of. And that's what we're going to talk about on Thursday, which means you guys will get a hell of an episode next Wednesday. So until then, have a great week, everybody. And we will talk to you again next week. 